Hi, my name is Beth and I'm a psychological wellbeing practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate and it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever. If you're looking to become a psychologist Then let this be your guide With this podcast at your side You'll be on your way to being qualified It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast With Dr. Marianne Trent Hi, welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. And today we're going to be thinking about compassion. Now, compassion is something that I think would have made my journey to being a clinical psychologist a whole heck more enjoyable had I discovered the practice of compassion before I actually did. So first off, I will tell you when I um, when I first kind of connected with compassion and also the close call I had. So um, let's start with the close call to begin with. So um, one of the kind of seminal texts on compassion is by Professor Paul Gilbert, who I have had um, the absolute joy of meeting for a two-day course. Um, and I got there first. There was just him and um, I think just him and me in the room. And he came up to me and greeted me so warmly um, including a handshake. This was pre-COVID times. And I I had just walked from a train station in winter and I was absolutely freezing. And I felt so self-conscious of how cold my hands were and also just completely like a rabbit in the headlights um, for <laughs> the fact that Paul Gilbert was in front of me, you know, greeting me, welcoming me along to his um, course. And I also was thinking this course was going to be, you know, pretty massive. There was going to be loads of people in the room. And I was just hoping to blend in, really, um, and to just sit in the background and soak up his Professor Paul Gilbert brilliance. But it didn't turn out that way. There was probably only about 10 of us on there. And so it was a really intense day um it was a real privilege you know a real privilege i loved it and i learned so much but my first brush with professor paul gilbert was when i was um training um it might even been shortly after i was training but i was at a house party <laughs> for um for someone on my cohort and these house parties you know, I don't know how old you are listening to this um listening to this podcast episode but this is not like a house party like it was when I was at undergrad uni you know where you don't really know the person who's hosting it you know you stay up all night 
Um, you know, you have the time of your life. You drink some drink that's kind of orange that's come out of a punch bowl, but you don't really know what's in it. And, you know, right now that might trigger you as well, because I know there's all sorts of, sort of drink spiking things around. But, you know, growing up, um, this is the late 90s and early um, 2000s is when I was doing my undergrad. Um, you know, I have very fond memories. And thankfully, I came through it unscathed, apart from, you know, <laughs> drinking too much vodka and coke and things like that at some times. I don't even know why I did that because I don't like um, coke, really. So anyway, so um, yes, I was at this house party, which definitely didn't involve um bowls of punch but probably did involve you know stuffed vine leaves um it was that kind of party um but lovely and on the sideboard in my friend's house there was um a copy of the very weighty tome um you know a compassionate mind by the said uh, professor paul gilbert and it had been returned uh, by someone who had read it and they said, Marianne, would you, like, would you like to read it? And I took one look at it, saw how thick it was. And I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> I wasn't really into reading like, um, you know, workbooks for pleasure. I thought it would be really, really worky. And actually, when I came to read it, this would have been probably 2010, 2011. But I didn't come on to um, get to grips with compassionate um, theory until 2017, 2018, I'm going to say. And, you know, had I had it in my life for that many years in the middle bit, and for the bit before um, I actually got on to the clinical training course, I think it would have been super useful for me. And I'd have had a much gentler ride um, because um, something I know that will resonate with many aspiring psychologists is that we can be our own um, harshest critic. And I think this fits in with some of the, you know, the pop psychology around us being wounded healers, you know, we're partly healing ourselves by entering into this profession. And I certainly think that it's really, um, you know, the best job in the world. I feel so grateful, so lucky to do this that I really love, you know, um, so it doesn't feel like work a lot of the time, um, which is just, you know, I'm very lucky in that regard, I think. And I know that um, many of you might feel the same as well, um, but we can it can definitely ebb and flow. You know, sometimes it feels a lot more worky than others. And, you know, we get those real golden nuggets of just incredible connection and knowing where you've made such a difference um, to the lives of people you've worked with, which is just, you know, incredibly wonderful. Um, so, yeah, part of our wounded healer uh, mentality can be that actually, you know, we're quite mean to ourselves at times. So discovering self-compassion for me um, earlier in the process, if I had picked up that weighty, weighty book off that sideboard, along with, you know, some posh dip um, and, uh, yeah, stuffed vine leaf, 
then it might have been really useful for me. And I think it would have been really useful for me as a, a new parent as well to have already welcomed self-compassion into my life. So if you don't know, you're not familiar with books on self-compassion, then I'd absolutely recommend the one by Professor Paul Gilbert, but also um, Dr. Chris Irons, um, the uh, compassionate mind approach to difficult feelings that's the one that I really think is um, really accessible um, and really useful so do check out those um, as a first port of call um, if you get um, if this piques your interest I would say so um, yeah they're really useful books and had I discovered those when I was a parent um, you know I would have absolutely cut myself more slack you know it's hard to do any job well let alone be a new parent who you know at one point I was waking up like 37 times a night with a screaming baby you know it's kind of tricky <laughs> it's kind of tricky if you've got high expectations upon yourself so you know the the reality is certainly if you have clinical psychology in your sites um, that there aren't, you know, limitless places available. So I'm just taking a quick look at the book, The Clinical Psychologist Collective here. Um, and, you know, the success rates and the number of places, it's, you know, it's pretty sobering reading. So um, across the UK, um, funded places in 2021 were 979 with the applicants being 4,544. So the success rate that year was 22%. Um, and of course it is a little skewed um, because people will be applying who maybe have only just graduated. And so it would be less likely that they would be successful. So actually, if you do have a number of years experience and you might perhaps have a master's and done some published research, then actually your chance at success might be higher than 22%. Does that make sense? Um, but yeah, the number of places was 979. And it was always, um, you know, on my radar, how many places there were on the course that I wanted to apply for. And because I was doing my assistant psychologist roles in the Midlands, um, so, um, you know, the course that I ended up um, getting on, happily loving, had 15 places, one, five, um, the year that I was successful. And so it was always in my mind, um, you know, if I help someone too much or if I, you know, am too graceful and useful here, I could be talking myself out of a place and giving it to, you know, to them, which, oh, it's a really difficult, difficult position because, you know, I adore my friends. I'm still in contact with many of them now. And yet, you know, it's difficult, isn't it, being a human? But also, you know, we've got this survival instinct, you know, at that point, if I'd had to choose who I'd prefer to get on a course, then I would have had to put in my secret ballot box <laughs> rather than raising my hand, me, I'd rather I got on to training, you know, and that's difficult because we want to have a really collaborative ethos, you know, and I think, um, I think this is more commonly spoken about now about how to, 
you know, how to remain compassionate to yourself and to others. And that actually, you know, there is room for everybody um, to do well and to, you know, to, to try and be their optimal best. And that, um, you know, this is something that my children struggle with as well. So my children are eight and five. Um, you know, if I say to one of them, oh, gosh, you know, you've done that beautifully. What a wonderful picture. What a lovely little artist you are. Or, um, you know, I might say, oh, God, you're so funny. Oh, that's really made me laugh. The other one will say, I suppose I'm not funny or I suppose I'm a terrible artist. And it's like, no. <laughs> that's not true you know I try to introduce them to the concept of mutual exclusivity which is a hard sell we're just going to pause for this quick ad break here and hopefully by the time we get back we will find that you are less of a hard sell than the eight-year-old and five-year-old are in terms of mutual exclusivity I found that the Our Tricky Brain Kit really helps me as a clinician to bring the compassion focus therapy theory to life in a way that my clients can really engage with and remember. So yeah, I'd recommend it. So as you might know, mutual exclusivity is the concept um, that things, you know, can only operate a bit like a train track. So they can only operate as a parallel, um, you know. So if I was a good artist, then it would mean someone else couldn't be a good artist. But of course, we know that those are not mutually exclusive concepts. We know that actually it's quite possible for people to be for lots of people to be very good at art and and for our you know our artistic style to apply and appeal to different people as well so some may say that I was the better artist they'd be wrong because I'm dreadful um, and others you know beauty is in the eye of the beholder and all of that others might think that um, you know someone else is better artist and they would likely be right because my art is abysmal but so yes I picked a bad example but my kids like drawing so that's a really nice thing so you know, the mutual exclusivity in clinical psychology is that I can have really useful skills and you know experiences to offer and useful you know, useful techniques and things about me that makes me a good psychologist. 
but you can also have the same techniques, skills and experiences or different techniques, skills and experiences. And you can also be, you know, good psychologist too, um, because we have to be able to, you know, hold space for for others also doing good things and know that that doesn't detract from from our own experience and our own validity and our own worth gosh these are all terms that we learn about in psychology undergrad aren't they validity and you know um ecological validity and normality and on all of that and actually here i am using them um to talk to you so you know the stuff we learn at undergrad and the stuff we learn at a level if you did it is super useful you know and actually I still use many of the techniques and the theory that I learned at A-level now, you know, so, you know, bystander effect and um, cognitive dissonance and things like that. You know, they're really integral, integral concepts. So um, anyway, that's a bit of an aside, isn't it? But in terms of compassion, you know, we can allow ourselves to to be good enough and to know that we you know, we can't expect ourselves to be a genius at psychology if we are indeed, you know, starting out or if we've not done it before. We have to be able to give ourselves, you know, the the breathing space and the capacity and the, um, you know, the permission, but also the the kindness, really, to not get things right first time every time. And that cropped up recently for me on my second ever salsa lesson um, because I was just not very good. (laughs) Um, But realistically, I was comparing myself to people who'd been doing it for years and were asking me to dance and spinning me around like, you know, like I was on Strictly. And so, um, you know... (laughs) I was never going to come up very well, you know, and it actually did take me sort of an hour or so until I was home to think, hold on, Marianne, come on. It's all right. You can't expect yourself to be an expert on your second lesson. It's okay if your feet were a bit of a mess. It's okay if you were, you know, feeling a bit overwhelmed at times. That's all right, because actually the people teaching you stuff were teaching you quite complicated moves. Um, And when even the basic steps are kind of taking some some headspace and some thinking it's okay to find the you know the complicated ones um a little bit perplexing as well so i am going back for um for lesson three um next week and you know i may still be rubbish i likely will be and my dancing is about as good as my artistry um but i'm all right with that you know because i'm never going to be a professional dancer (laughs) believe me i am never going to be that you know so i can both be a good psychologist and a terrible dancer you know um because the two are not mutually exclusive I, i you know i wouldn't have to be one or the other so yeah i would just allow yourself to appreciate where you are right now and to not be able to, you know, for example, be expecting yourself to be a complete neuropsych wizard if you've never done neuropsych before. Um, You know, I remember when I was um, an assistant psychologist, um, I'd done 
um, some neuropsych um, with um, a client and we were concerned about um, some, of, some of his functioning. And it involved sort of drawing a clock face. Um, and my supervisor just really briefly came into the office afterwards and said, oh, look, um, you can see that actually he might have some visual impairment because um, he's only done it on one side or he's got some sort of planning problems or ran out of space. And I just thought, oh, yeah, why do you really see that? I didn't really get that when I saw that. And I felt like, oh, like she's so good. And she is, you know, but I'd never done it before, you know. And so actually I wasn't used to making, you know, interpretations and trying to formulate about this particular you know piece of neuropsych or particular piece of um you know theory and so just allowing yourself some breathing space um to allow yourself to grow to water yourself um and allow yourself to just you know do what you need to do um and to know that you're you know you are supposed to be learning you know even when we um are fortunate enough to get places on um declin side courses or whatever course it is that you're aspiring to we are not expected to know it all because we're not supposed to be the finished article I feel like this is a massive topic and we might well need to do another episode on this. And if you think that'd be useful, give me a shout. Um, please do, um, you know, subscribe and review um, and yeah, keep listening and let me know any feedback you've got. And I will look forward to catching up with you on our next episode. Take care. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. This podcast at your side You'll be on your way to being qualified It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast With Dr. Marianne Trent My name is Diakolola Amujo I am a recent psychology graduate from Ireland I am also an aspiring clinical psychologist. Dr. Marion's book, The Clinical Psychologist Collective, has been so helpful to me on this journey to becoming a clinical psychologist. As I plan to continue postgraduate studies in the UK, I found it extremely useful that this book provided in-depth information on the UK DeClinSci application process. I enjoyed reading about the experiences of both qualified and trainee clinical psychologists. The various narratives were my favorite part of the book, as everyone's story was different and it provided amazing insights into the clinical psychology journey. I would definitely recommend this book to anyone interested in psychology and aspires to become a clinical psychologist.